Hello, friend. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Tully Show. We will get this week's episode with sports ethicist Sean Klein underway imminently. But first, a very quick reminder, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Have you been there yet? If not, admit it. By now, you must be getting a little bit tri-curious about my Patreon. This show, The Tully Show, represents, I don't know, like 20... 30% maximum of my weekly solo podcast output. The veritable tip of the iceberg. See all of the things that you are missing and find out why tens of millions of your fellow Tully Show listeners swear by the experience at podcastjonestownpatreon.com slash Mike Tully, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Now on with the show. Coming to you live on tape from an above-ground basement in rapidly gentrifying Culver City, adjacent California, boasting a partially obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, to the best of my knowledge, our very first PhD a professor at Arizona State University, an author on a wide range of subjects, but most importantly for our present purposes, a self-described sports ethicist. Hello and welcome, Sean Klein. Hi, Mike. Well, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining me. I first You first came on my radar when I was reading uh, a, a Ringer article a while back. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. And... It took me a second because I realized that I, I, I've thought about sports ethics quite a bit, but I don't know that I've ever engaged in a conversation where I was like aware that I was specifically, hey, let's talk about the, the sports ethics of this. And I was therefore, although I shouldn't be in retrospect, mildly surprised to find out that there somebody is a self-described sports ethicist i know you wear several hats but in terms of what we're going to be focusing on today how does and why does one come to become uh, a sports ethicist well it's funny your your sort of discovery story because i i feel like i went through a similar process you know being a sports fan i was often engaged in conversations about various things on the field on the court you know was that the right thing to do what's the ethics of that and not really thinking of it as a discipline and then as i went through graduate school and working on philosophy and ethics issues in general, I didn't really even think about uh, connecting it to sports directly. And then sometime after graduate school, when I was teaching, I would use sports a lot in, in the classroom as examples, because it's uh, such a um, ubiquitous sort of text. I mean, whatever we talk about, there's fans of Games of Thrones, there's fans of Lord of the Rings and stuff, but no one really, there's not, it's so broken up, whereas almost everybody, you know, can talk about sports in some way. So it's always a great example to use. And so it just got me thinking more and more. And so there was a moment where I thought I invented a whole new philosophical discipline and and a quick Google search disabused me of that. And there's been, a uh, you know, for 50 years at least, uh, an official uh, discipline of philosophy of sport and sports ethics uh, of engaging in these in these ideas. And so I, you know, became a part of that community. And, uh, and yeah, so I started a, a blog, which I called the Sports Ethicist kind of 
ripping a little bit off of uh uh, you, you mentioned the ringer off of Bill Simmons being the sports guy. And I was a big fan of, of his. And so I thought, okay, well maybe I'd be like the sports ethics guy. And so that's kind of where I came up with that. And, and the, so, yeah, and just started writing and thinking and talking about sports ethics and philosophy of sport and teaching it at, at the various institutions I've been at, including ASU now. So I noticed, and you just did it right there at the end, Sometimes you use the singular sport and other times you you are the sports ethicist, for example, and to use the singular form as sort of like a, an, a European UK tinge to it. Why do you sometimes use one and the other? Where do you make the distinction? Uh, I don't have a good answer to that because I, I don't <laughs> think I, uh, I think about it. I think it's more um, just arbitrary the way I, I choose to use it. Uh, I think if if in when I'm writing and I'm thinking about it more intentionally, I think when I'm talking about sport as like a, a concept, as a universal thing that everyone talks about throughout the world, that's been a part of really every culture, every human culture. So it's kind of like a capital S sport. Uh, and that's when I think I tend to use sport in the, in the singular. And then when I'm talking about sports, you know, this sport, that sport, uh, you know, we're talking about sports, then I tend to use the, the more Americanized uh, plural. So I, I don't have a sharp distinction, but that's probably the closest thing I could give you. <laughs> I get it. I get it. That makes sense. People, and I'm sure you've noticed this in your line of work, uh, often get angry, maybe especially angry when you bring up issues of ethics and morals in regard to sports. And to a degree, I think that's understandable. We all know there's lots of people that, you know, there's culture wars, political wars. They've always been going on. They've intensified in the last few years. Many people don't care. And I can make a case for not caring. And they choose to, I don't want to say bury their head in the sand. They look elsewhere. And sports, for the most part, is a good place to do that. Additionally, there's people like myself, and I'm sure yourself from time to time, where you do engage in the political stuff and the cultural stuff, but then sometimes you want to break from it. And like, I can, I can, I don't need to read the comments to know what the comment section looks like on ESPN.com when one of the headlines is maybe arguably not one of the eight or 10 stories of greatest interest to the greatest number of people who follow professional sports. And yet some way, once again, culture wars, political stuff has made it to the front page of, of, of ESPN. Uh, just, can you talk about that phenomenon a little bit? Do you agree that people kind of to a large degree would like their sports ethics free? And, and why do you think that is? You know, I, I, I think you're right. But I, we probably need to draw somewhat of a distinction between what we might think of as kind of run-of-the-mill ethics issues. So, you know, uh, blowing out blowing out another team, wide-margin victories, or, you know, whether an intentional foul in basketball or or the professional foul in soccer. You know, is that the right thing to do, right? They talk about, is it, a, is it too cynical? I don't know if people get so angry about that. No. Uh, but then when it does get a little bit more politicized, uh, and you bring in some of the more social political issues, then yeah, then people start taking sides and and things can get ugly. And I think you're right. There's a sense of a lot of people don't want that in sport. Sport is either it's an escapist place or uh, the flip side of that is not so much that it's an escape. It's that it's more pure, right? We don't want to messy, messy up our pure sport with the ugly sausage making of politics uh, or, you know, sport is too good for politics might be the flip side of, well, politics is real and we're just escaping off to this uh, other side to get away. 
So I think both of those are sort of two sides of the same coin, both sort of saying sport is somehow separate from our lives. And I think there's some truth to that. I think there's it's also false in another way, but I think sport is a kind of playground for us, right? It's, um, you know, derives out of out of our games that we play as kids. You know, we've professionalized it and that's made uh, it very exciting and more accessible uh, for everybody in, in many ways. But it also, it still has its origins in this playground space where we are kind of doing things differently than we would in our everyday life, right? We have an arbitrary set of rules that defines a sort of space where we're going to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. You know, if we're playing football, you know, I'm going to knock you over. I'm going to try, you know, try to knock you over as you're getting the ball or something like that. And Whereas in in real life, I wouldn't do that, right? Uh, same with any of the fighting sports, for sh- for sure. What would be assault, in, uh, you know, or deadly assault in in some scenarios is uh, is an exciting uh, battle in uh, in the octagon or something. And so, you know, we do kind of separate out sport onto its own realm, a sort of playground space, and so that gives us some avenue to to think about it as a different space where we can do things differently where we can approach life a little bit differently so that gives us that separation but at the same time we're still human beings involved in this and so there still is some external moral principles external conditions excuse me external conditions that are part of it that we can't just completely jettison so you know something like uh uh you know, um, uh, running the running man movie, you know, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where you, you know, where you're fighting to the death. That's, you know, yeah. Okay. It's a game in some way, but it's, it's a game with real life serious consequences. Uh, and, and so we don't, we kind of, that's a little, we don't allow that kind of playground. Right. And so I think there still are external rules, external moral principles that bear on it, but within that space, there's a lot of room for, uh, you know, experimenting with, different ways of treating each other. It might be one way to think about it. We have a different sort of, uh, of internal morality that that's involved in sport. And so it, it creates that paradox of, well, it's escapist, but we also want to keep it, uh, you know, within, within a certain domain of, of how we live our everyday lives as well. Sports is such a interesting thing. I've given probably too much thought to the, you know, the, the, the thought experiment or, or the just trying to figure out what are things that every human society thought of all by themselves you know before anybody was even aware that there were other people out there and it's just like various power structures you see repeated over and over again you see religions repeated over and over in strikingly similar forms music art music music and happens and it's like putting the ball putting the ball in whatever we define as the goal is that's just like a thing, and I, I am sure you know way more than I ever will about, you know, well, that's sublimated warfare, but it is, but it's not. It's just fun. It's just fun, and it comes, my dog kind of figured out, figures out right. how, how it works. Yeah. I just, I want to talk about the, you know, the ethics of sports business and fandom and all that, but just in a more primary sense, I, I don't know how long ago that it was that I asked myself the question, like, why do we care? Like, why... I care deeply. I, I can exp- maybe I can't put it into words, but if you and I play a pickup basketball game, I can understand. I don't need to, to figure out why I I care about that. If we decide to watch, you know, the Celtics versus the Warriors in the finals, we can marvel at the prowess of these guys. And even taking a rooting interest sort of needs no explanation. We sort of just like 
that's fun to play favorites. But the, the degree to which we internalize that stuff, the degree to which people will meld their own identity, their family's identity, with that of a sports team. I am. Um, I hate. I can't even call myself a Nets fan. I don't know what it means to root for the Nets anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible. In many ways, I was lucky to grow up just outside of New York City. That was probably the worst fallout of it. Sean, I'm to the point now where I can't even watch Celtics games because knowing that we did so much, and we, I'm using the word we, to right. to put them in a position to build a team that they have now, watching them be successful is too painful for me to bear. What, uh-huh. what the hell is wrong with me and several billion other people? Right. Well, I think it was, uh, was it Jurgen Klopp? I, I think it was Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager who said football is the most important of the least important things. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, right. And so, I mean, there's, there certainly is a sense, and I think we've all experienced that when we get so angry about something that happened in a game and, you know, we, we want to, you know, we punch the TV or we throw our remote at the TV, we punch the wall, we do something just so stupid. And we know it's stupid because once we step out of the moment, we're like, God, that was stupid. Like, why does this matter? You know, I'm still the same person tomorrow. When I get up, my team wins or lose, you know, um, you know, I'm the same person. I'm not any more handsome. I'm not any more wealthy or poor or ugly, right? It doesn't change my life. And yet I care deeply uh, in that moment. And continuing, I mean, I'm as a Patriots fan, I'm still, my friends and I and family, we still will talk about the the first giant Super Bowl that the Patriots lost that we really should have won and the history that could have been made there. And it still hurts. Right. Oh, you, mean, you, you, mean, you, mean, you mean the helmet catch, the guy who never had another yes. catch again? That that David Tyree was his name of memory. David so. Tyree, who yeah. was not in the league the next year, and all <laughs> Ronnie right. Patterson had to do was lift his arm up. No, I mean it makes it sound. Did and you see how many off? Like, what, what did three out of five offensive linemen hold on that play? Nobody talks about that. You yeah. had all day. Yeah. And yeah. Manning was in the grasp. And I mean, there's like ten. There's like ten other different things. Any one of them go the other way, and, yeah. and the Patriots win that game. And sure. and it's a totally different feel to to that to that team. Uh, and so, like I said, like, I mean, we still feel that viscerally at the same time, you know, would it have changed my life? I don't think so. Right. Um, and, I mean, it would have been a different sense of enjoyment that I would have had in that moment. And it would have been great and fun and all that. But it wouldn't have really fundamentally changed anything in, in the world. And so why do we care? I mean, I, I'm kind of babbling here in a sense because I don't really know why we care. I mean, I think there's re- we can point to some things mm-hmm. that I think might suggest part of the answer. I mean, you mentioned some, right? We do, we do kind of, not kind of, we definitely do make it part of our identity, unless we're just purely casual fan that's just watching something from just in no different way than we might watch, uh, you know, uh, Big Bang Theory or something like that. So there are fans like that, but most, they're not fans, right? They're just spectators, right? But fans are fanatics, right? Uh, and so they're obsessed with it in some sense. And we make it part of our identity. It's part of how we express ourselves. We wear hats and t-shirts. We put bumper stickers on our car, uh, you know, or, or uh, covers on our, our phones and stuff like that with our all our fandom. And we display it. It's a way of a it's a way of calling out our tribe. It's a way of expressing ourselves of, and we make it part of our identity. And it's also then a way in which we connect to other people, you know, to you sitting at the airport and someone 
And so I'm a Red Sox fan. Someone has a Red Sox fan will probably start up, strike up a conversation, uh, you know, like right now, like what, Oh my God, like what a, what a waste of a season. We have so much talent and yet we're kind of fizzling it away or it's a Yankee fan. And then we can even just playfully kind of jostle each other and, and, and joke with each other a bit. Hopefully it's just joking. Uh, and, uh, and play around with that, but it's a way of connecting. Right. And so I think that that's, and that's universal. Uh, uh, you know, you could be, in an airport in Paris and see someone with the same fandom displays that you have uh, and strike up a, a conversation, even if it's very broken English where you're just sort of kind of pointing at things and kind of making a connection. So it's, it's, there's something deeply rooted about our, our association with the team. And I think it's partly that identity, partly how we become fans. We often become fans because of where we we grew up. So you mentioned New York. I grew up outside Boston. That explains a lot of our our fandom, right? Uh, and but also, it's not just where we grew up, but it's our it's our peers, it's our family. You go to the game with a sibling or a parent for the first time. You know, you're you're walking into Fenway with with your dad or with your best friend, and uh, as a kid, and it just takes your breath away and you remember those moments and so it it it's really deeply tied into who we are who we see ourselves as who we relate to uh and that's i think what makes fandom so so valuable and, and why sports fandom although i think there's a lot of parallels to other kinds of fandoms you know if you're fans of of star trek and and other kinds of stuff it, there's a deep fandom there but it's different because you don't necessarily grow up with it and it's not the kind of thing that is part of your community so it's it's part of your identity it's part of your community uh it's part of how you see yourself and uh allows for dialogue between people and so it it's it's pretty deeply rooted in in just human society i think so i think that's it's hard to explain that why why is art important right it's there's there's things we can talk about there too but i think it's uh, I think that's that's my best stab at why we take it so seriously, even though it's uh, sort of fundamentally meaningless. Well, let's let's focus this a little bit. I do want to talk to you about I told you some of the big picture sports ethical stuff that I've been thinking about over the years. And then, of course, there's stuff that's just in in the news and that everybody who follows sports is talking about. And I guess what I'd like to get at with all of these subjects is not so much what the right or wrong answer is, but in your informed opinion, what's the right way to be framing these debates in a way that's just sort of logically consistent, I guess. So it's, I don't even, it's, it's LIV. That's how you say it, right? I literally don't even watch golf. I just read about it. You know, I, everyone I've talked to about it, no one really, really? seems to know whether it's live or whether it's LIV. Um, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it was Roman numerals. So I thought, is it Same. like 54? Right, 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 <laughs> so, right. Well, it would be, it would be a, a, a dark irony if it was called the live golf tournament, given the controversy and, 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 right. and one, one particular point of focus of the controversy let's assume that it's that it's liv so people who don't know there's been the pga tour for forever and uh, a lot of the players are like you know it's monopoly and they've been taking advantage of us for years and now here comes this other golf tournament they're throwing money around like a drunken sailor they're probably not going to turn a profit on this it seems like largely a pr move who's got lots of money and is in need of some good pr the saudi government the saudi 
royal family and that they're offering players four, five, eight times as much money as they've been making on the NBA tour. And so not surprisingly, not all, but a decent number of players are migrating over there. How do you frame the debate of the righteousness of the players doing this? I, I can You can hear the easy arguments. Um, well, the, the however the money was made, whatever evil means, nobody's debating that. The money was already made. The deed has already been committed. So what does it really change if the player says yes or says no? Um, a, a more cynical person might say, hey, if we looked deeply into the skeletons of the closets of billionaire American sports team owners, we might find some pretty unsavory things there. And nobody's saying don't play for this franchise or that franchise. <laughs> to me, it seems wrong to take the money. And I would like to think that if I were in that situation, I would say I'd rather have $4 million from the PGA than $12 million from the LIV golf tournament. How do you weigh the pros and cons of that decision and how we as spectators ought to receive it? Right. I mean, it's a, it's a very fraught uh, scenario. Uh, you have a Saudi regime. Now, I mean, where their money comes from is primarily oil. So it's not like in the case of someone like uh, uh, China or or maybe even Russia where, you know, there's a lot more of sort of graft and 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 in the case of china you know slavery going on where so that the gains are truly ill-gotten uh where saudi that's not as 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 direct right but the i think the 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 concern with the saudi regime is that they're not always you know the the uh uh ideal player on the world scene let's say right i mean they're they they are uh by all accounts responsible for uh, the the murder of of a reporter uh, and and critic of Saudi Arabia. They've been involved in in other stuff too. Uh, and you know, twenty twenty or so years ago, right? They they had some pretty uh, um, unsavory connections to uh, to the nine eleven uh, terrorist attack. I mean, those were all Saudis. Not that they were connected to the, those that they were part of the regime, but there right. there were deeper connections between the Saudi regime and the terrorist networks that were there which are, my understanding is that's less so. And that's the other complicating factor here is, of course, is that as uh, sort of unsavory in a lot of ways that the Saudi regime is, they're, they're an important strategic ally for the U.S. So it's a diff it'd be, it would feel different in a lot of ways if uh, they were signing on to, to play for the Russians like, or, or right now or the Chinese right now. That would be seemingly different because those are, uh, you know, in the case of Russia, really almost a direct foe at this point, right? So it, it would feel a little bit more treasonous. Whereas here, it, it's it's much more in a gray area, which makes it, in some ways, from an ethical point of view, kind of more interesting, right? Because it's a harder harder case to to deal with. And so, if you're an athlete uh, and you have uh, you know an offer on the table to play, uh, you have to think about those things and think about it. You know where where is the the money coming from and you know, why are they willing to pay so much more? Uh, and what can I do? Uh, what would my refusal also do? Right. Would my refusal really change anything? And so if if my actions aren't going to have an impact one way or the other, right, playing or not playing. So if, if Nicholson uh, chooses to play or not to play with LIV, does that really change anything one way or the other? And if the answer to that is not really, then it's hard to see you know, why there would be a strong obligation one way or the other not to do it or to do it if it's not really going to have an impact other than in his bank account. 
Uh, and so I, I can see why someone could uh, kind of reason through that and think, okay, well, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, someone's going to take the money. So my taking it or not isn't really going to change anything. So why not? So why shouldn't I just take it? Right. Uh, now, there was uh, one guy who mentioned that he was going to donate the money right. uh, that he received to charities. Uh, and, you know, at first that sounds, oh, well, that's nice. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but if you think the money's dirty, then you probably shouldn't be taking it in the first place. Now, if you're coming from the point of view where you think, okay, well, it, the Saudi regime is not one that I really want to get in a too close of a relationship with. But I, if you don't really think the money itself is dirty, right, if you don't think it's, you know, uh, money, blood money, let's say, uh, then it's it's easier, I think, to come to the point of view. It's okay. Well, I can I can accept this money and 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 play in this in this league. Uh, uh, you know, depending on how much of an arm's length there is between the Saudi regime and the league itself. So the league is funded by the Saudi regime, or the I mean, there's a couple layers that it goes through. So it comes from the Saudi regime. It goes into this uh, sovereign trust fund. Uh, which is charged with investing that money. And then part of that money is then invested in this sort of Saudi Gulf thing, which is then creating this LIV thing. So there's a lot of layers there. And so you might think, okay, well, there's there's enough of an arm's length there that I'm not really directly in bed with them. And so I can take the money. But if you really think the money's blood money, then you shouldn't be taking the money, right? Then that that looks a lot worse to me, uh, even if you're even if you're donating it. Uh, and so uh, it's 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 a complicated uh, uh, scenario uh, there. So I think I've lost lost a little of the thread of my thought there. So maybe I'll, I'll <laughs> circle back to where you're going. <laughs> well, let, let me add this to yeah. to the stew. You know, I I often when I think about this, and this is sort of my my thoughts on this are probably identical to my thoughts on the NBA and Daryl Morey and Hong Kong, which I want to talk about as well. I. I don't think in moral absolutes, and I don't think most people do. If you're living paycheck to paycheck and you have minimal savings, it's hard to ask people to bite the hand that feeds. If you're if you're delivering for Amazon and videos come out and it turns out that Jeff Bezos likes kicking old ladies in the shins, I can't ask you to take a principled stand. I think it's just more reasonable when somebody already has enough money to last yeah. several lifetimes. From an ethical, philosophical, or call it point of view, do you agree that's a valid that's a valid distinction to make. Um, I mean, I think, you know, certainly you're right on the part of, of the person living to paycheck to paycheck. I think it gets a little bit more complicated when you start talking and make, we start making assumptions about the, uh, the financial situations of, uh, of players. I mean, they do uh, have uh, a, uh, an income, right. They're pulling in an income that might be substantial, uh, but we don't always know what other costs they have, right? It's, I'm sure it's expensive to be a golfer. Yep. Uh, you know the the clubs and 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 the travel and all that. So there's a lot of of expenses, uh, and then not everybody is, you know, is winning the top prizes. So uh, I don't know what the breakdown is, but I'm sure it's you know something on the order of maybe like 10% at the top are really making a decent, you know, money, the kind of money that is life changing. And then everybody else is, is probably, I mean, they're not paycheck to paycheck, right. But they're not delivering for Amazon, but they still have, you know, costs to their lives and, and uh, you know, standard of living that they're used to that, that could be, that could be threatened uh, in various ways, or, or could just be more precarious than, than we're aware of. Um 
And and I think that goes with a lot of different sports too. Right? We look at you know the top the top quarterbacks, the five or ten top quarterbacks, and the millions that they make. Where you know, but the average salary is I think closer to a million, uh, which still sounds like a lot to me. But you know, it, they're also not making they're not they're they don't have a thirty year career either, right? So they have a shorter time frame in which to make the money that they will have for the rest of their lives, and so. You know, if you're only going to have a, a six or seven year professional career, you know, you do need to to uh, accumulate a lot more wealth more quickly. So I, I, I think it's I mean, that's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit there. Right. But I, I think there is something to be said of of having uh, enough cash. You know, the um, can I swear on the podcast, please? Liberal. All right. You know, you, you have the so-called fuck you money, right? Yeah, Where you right. have enough money. That you can say, well, fuck you. I don't need. I don't need this. I can do whatever I can. And I think Tiger Woods was in that situation here. He's he looked at LIV and says, "Sure, it's a lot more money, but I don't need it. So why should I bother? You know, getting involved in this controversy." Um, so other other golfers may not uh, have as uh, have as much. Now some of that might be on them on themselves for having spent away, you know, their their earnings in ways that maybe weren't uh, prudent, uh, but. You know, we don't always know the their financial situation and what their plans are and what they want to do with the do with the money. And then, I mean, the related to that is, in some ways, it might be better for the Saudis to be spending money on golfers than on other things such as you know bombing Yemen or something like that. So maybe this is a way to take some of that money and put it towards better better uses than where it might be. Although they have enough money, I think they could do both. Yeah, I think that probably, <laughs> it's probably not an either or pro, uh, yeah. proposition, right? And for people who think that what you just said is outrageous, I've seen the breakdown of like where the first uh, contract goes, and just start with the fact that everyone knows if you're making millions, half goes to taxes, then you got to pay. Your agent. So even the number that you see, start with about 40% of that and right. then talk about buy your mom a house, buy yourself a nice car, because you would do the same thing if you were a first round draft pick in any sport. And and believe it or not, nine million dollars does disappear quite a bit more quickly than than you think it might. That having been said, let's segue now into the the NBA, the Hong Kong stuff. I I I I've I used to be a baseball fan primarily. I would say I was like baseball. NFL, NBA, and just for whatever reason, um, I've become almost only an NBA fan. And I wouldn't say this is the reason why, but one of the things that I've liked about it is that, particularly in regard to the NFL, there's just been some really, really icky shit there over the years that the NBA has had far, far less of and that I have seen I, I think uh, far less tolerance for. And I, and I really like that about the league. And I supported all the BLM stuff etc. The Hong Kong stuff literally disappointed me, continues to disappoint me. Daryl Morey, who's the celebrated general manager um, of, at that point, the Houston Rockets, now the Philadelphia 76ers, literally just said, you know, I support Hong Kong, and a absolute shitstorm came down. His timing could have been better. I don't know if he was thinking through the fact that, like, Team USA was in China or was about to land there as he did it, but... Let's talk about, I mean, LeBron James was one of the people who was willing to go on the record and say, you know, maybe you should get a little bit more educated about the subject, which is exactly what the billionaire Chinese, kind of Chinese owner of the Nets said about the thing. LeBron James has fuck you money. And to me, the NBA, last I checked, it's about 20% extra. 
everybody would make 80% of what they made if they took a principled stand against China and the way that China thinks they can use the money that the Chinese market. And I would do the same thing if I was China. Of course, you want to make money here, you're going to play by our rules. But if you're making 10, you could still make eight and say, I stand with freedom and Hong Kong. And I have a very hard time understanding any argument to the contrary. That to me is where you do I do expect you to make the principled stand, and I'm deeply disappointed the NBA caught flack for it because it happened to be an NBA general manager who took just the stand. He put up yeah. a tweet saying, I support freedom. That was the stand right. here. But the NFL's just as guilty, and, and Major League Baseball, I don't think they have much traction there, but they're 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 just as guilty, and Hollywood's guilty as well. And I, and I do take exception to that, and I do think that it's wrong. Am I, am I way off base in the way that I'm choosing to look at this? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I tend to agree with you. And I think, you know, whether it's uh, any of these sport industries or any of the other industries that are heavily involved in China need to really be very careful uh, about it. Uh, I mean, there's obvious there's trade issues, there's intellectual property rights issues and so on. But you're also, you know, I mean, and and when we say China here, of course, we we mean uh, the Chinese Communist Party, right? Not the Chinese people, not oh no, of course uh, not, yeah, not the Chinese nation, right? But the CCP is, you know, I mean, they they are in the same class that the Soviet Union was that Putin is in today, and they uh, engage in uh, concentration camps. They have, uh, you know, genocidal goals uh, out in the western part of their country, and they employ slave labor. All of these things are evil. And if you're in bed with the CCP, you're connected to that. Uh, and so you, I think you need to to be careful. Now they're a huge market. And so it's it, there's a trade-off uh, there as well. And, and also partly by engaging with the Chinese people through basketball, football, other businesses, we also have a, a way of communicating uh, to, the, to the Chinese people uh, and a way of getting around uh, the CCP as well. So there's there's dangers to just completely cutting off and blockading, which doesn't really work either. And, and we're trying to still have an, an engagement process. But I think the, the businesses need to be really careful uh, getting into bed with the CCP because the CCP also, uh, I mean, the reason why uh, the general manager got in trouble was because the the CCP didn't like the the criticism that they were getting about their Hong Kong policy, let alone uh, you know the treatment of the Uyghurs and and other other ethnic minorities in China. They don't like any any kind of criticism, and when you're a business operating with them, uh, you have to play by their rules. And one of their rules is you don't get to criticize us, and that's that's a pretty uh, uh, dangerous situation to be in. And so it's it you have to decide whether, okay, well, are we going to try to do this in a way that we can engage and communicate and, and develop a, a relationship with the people uh, and try to somehow get around the, the CCP, but also still not tout, not uh, uh, toe the company line, so to speak, uh, of the CCP, the way LeBron appeared to be doing. Uh, I mean, uh, LeBron didn't need to, uh, as you said, he's got, he certainly has fuck you money and he, he didn't need to uh, uh, appear to take the side of of the Chinese Communist Party for the sake of keeping the NBA business there happy. Um, and the same could be said with the PGA. The PGA has a China tour uh, as well. I don't know how active it is, but they did. They have it at some time. So, I mean, a lot of the criticism against Saudi, the, the LIV in Saudi Arabia, P, the PGA uh, in some ways might have its hands dirtier uh, in, in China than, than the LIV does. But I'm not a big conspiracy guy. 
Um, <laughs> but I am, uh, you'd be a fool to not be aware of sometimes when the vested interest powers that be say, look here, not there. To me, it's such a clear bipartisan political issue that on the liberal side of things, you have the people who stand for human rights and on the conservative side, not to say that one side is all this or the other side is all that, but speaking in the simplest possible terms, it, it, it almost, I mean, this is putting it in very, very dramatic terms, but like an attack on American sovereignty to tell free American citizens what they can or can't say about freedom when tweeting safely from the couch of their American home, to me, that's outrageous yeah. from a conservative, I mean, from an American, but if we're talking about the shit that fires up the bases, from a conservative point of view, and the fact that you have something that seems like such a winner on... Uh, on a bipartisan basis and yet it got dealt with more as uh how does the the storyline that we received here was how does the nba put this behind it so that it can continue doing business in china it's yeah. it's 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 very icky and uh and 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 a little disturbing and one of these things that i think it, there's there's a timeline where we look back at that 20 years from now and realize that was a watershed moment and not in a good way yeah, I agree, and and I mean, I I think it's 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 hard to know how the NBA um, you can sort of unwind the clock and pull pull back, right? I mean, obviously, I mean they could just cancel everything they do and and pull back completely, and and I mean that would cost a lot of money, but they yeah. could absorb that, I'm I'm sure. sure. Uh, but that's not necessarily the right answer either, as in terms of maybe trying to push forward for engagement, trying to create a, a space for and an example to the Chinese people. Uh, You're saying the case of, 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 of take the short term L because uh, when they see when when we are invited in our culture and the best of our culture is invited into their living rooms will be the shining beacon that way. And we can we can lose the battle, win the war. Yeah, I, I, that's at least the hope. I yeah, don't know. Right. I don't know if it works. Um, that's the argument. That's the argument. And I mean, I think that I. I I'm more attracted to, I find that a little bit more persuasive than the sort of completely cut off, isolate, blockade type of mentality mm -hmm. uh, as well. I mean, I, that has some more clarity to it in a way of saying, well, I'm not going to get my hands dirty at all. But I think it, I'm not sure how effective that is in terms of helping to bring about more freedom, greater liberty for the Chinese people, for the people that live under these, you know, basically, you know, glorified mafia regimes. So stateside. Um, I want to talk about, uh, again, as somebody who has migrated more to the NBA and away from the NFL, I kind of look on with horror, like, cause it's so funny. I, I don't watch TV almost ever. I, so I'm, I'm just like on ESPN.com and sites like that. So I just kind of like get the major waves coming off of the other leagues. And, and I, I literally, it's so crazy to me as somebody who like lived and died by all three major sports not that long ago. I don't even know who Deshaun Watson plays for, but I know the broad <laughs> outlines of the story. And I say all that to say that it's gotten easier for me to be really, really judgmental about these sorts of things. Because when I really, when 
Lawrence Taylor was there with the Giants, it would have been very, very hard for me to say, you know what, this guy and this team did that. I'm stepping away from that. It's very easy for me now to look at to look at NFL fans and be like, you guys are fucked up if you still continue to support that because I don't want to watch that. And as I said, for whatever reason, there isn't a ton of uh, there aren't a ton, at least until this offseason, there wasn't really a corollary contemporary in the in the NBA. Again, not the answer to the question, but how should we frame our reaction to it? There's a guy, 24 sexual misconduct allegations. Nobody can prove anything. 24 is a lot. I've never known a good person who had 24 sexual yeah. misconduct allegations. And the the, the it's a convoluted process getting to the punishment now. It's, uh, it's I think it's 11 games. And 11 games, a, yeah. A, a lot and of a money. Massive fine, yeah. Five, five million dollars. Yeah. But uh, there will be plenty of people, there are, I don't need to look into this to know, there are plenty of people who were relieved that he will be able to come back and play. And if the team can stay in playoff contention, maybe they get the wild card, maybe they can still win the the, the Super Bowl with him. Um, well, we are talking about the Browns here, so I don't think that's. A oh, okay, okay. Oh, this is barely this is barely relevant. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize we were talking about semi-pro football. Gotcha. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, I've long maintained that when it comes to this sort of stuff, that pro sports leagues, in a way, they're a free market. In a way, they operate in the capitalist system, but they're 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 a very weird category that they've made for themselves. As they as they should be, in in my opinion, they are different. Mm -hmm. I believe that participating in a pro league is a privilege, not a right, and I I favor more strict penalties for people like this. I think that people who are capable, nobody is bigger than the league. You know, even even Tom Brady, the NFL was successful before Tom Brady, and it will be successful when he goes away. And I've also often felt like if you really truly made an example out of not an example. If you just towed a hard line for long enough, it might actually stop athletes from doing horrible, horrible things. Like how, 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 how ought we be looking at these sorts of things? Right. Well, it, it, it is like so many things here. It's, it's kind of fraud. It's, yeah. it's, uh, uh, I guess that's my word of the day, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's complicated, uh, right. In terms of, because as you said, I mean, they're, they're credible accusations. There's a, a lot of them. But at the same time, you had two grand juries look at the evidence and and decide that they couldn't go forward with a with a criminal prosecution for whatever that means, uh, which essentially just means the prosecutors didn't think they could win the case sure. from, from what I understand. And that's because the, the evidence in these sorts of cases is almost always ends up being a kind of he said, she said. Yeah. And so you have these uh, accusations. Let me just throw this in because this is yeah. the one other little tidbit that I know about this. And I'm sure people are screaming at their speakers right now. Well, you got a bunch of girls to settle. And so no, that's the reason why nobody would testify is because he paid them all off. That's part of this story, right? Um, well, I don't know if that's part of the, the criminal side of, of okay. it, all right. right? Because they, those, most of those, my understanding, uh, and I could have the timeline, the timeline wrong, mm -hmm. uh, is that most of those complaints were filed, um, either simultaneous while the grand jury was already proceeding, yep. uh, or after the grand jury had already decided not to go through. And these are civil complaints. They're not criminal complaints. Uh, and I mean that, that civil is, is a legitimate avenue of seeking redress for harm and so that's it's not a uh but it, it it's not a criticism of of seeking civil instead of criminal uh but it is it's a different it's a different 
setup of evidence. It's, it's a different setup of what you of uh, standard of evidence and and uh, level of proof you need you need to bring to win your cases. Whereas yeah. criminal tends to be all right. It's uh, reasonable doubt. Uh, whereas uh, civil is preponderance of evidence. So it's a lower standard to meet. So um, and in these kinds of cases where you generally have either circumstantial or just um, you know. A, he said, she said type scenarios, which very hard to adjudicate that the preponderance of evidence standard can can allow you to move forward fast more so than a criminal standard would be. Uh, and I think I, that's probably why the prosecutors didn't go forward. And that's why these cases, you know, whether it's a professional athlete or just, you know, the schlub down the street, why these cases are always hard to prosecute. Right. Because there isn't often any anything other than the circumstantial evidence. Um, and. So it, how do you proceed with that, right? I mean, obviously, from the league's point of view, from a fan's point of view, we shouldn't have to wait for a criminal conviction before we act, right? Um, that seems far too high of a standard to say, well, we shouldn't suspend or fine uh, or any uh, the players unless there's a criminal conviction. That just seems too too much too high of a bar. At the same time, I think we have to be a little wary of kind of resting it on accusations, even credible accusations, of course, a number of credible accusations, because we can immediately see how easily that can be abused, uh, you know, just by people that are seeking payoff, or by other teams that might pay off somebody say, hey, go, go, go make a civil complaint. So this guy gets suspended. So, you know, when we have to play them in the playoffs, their star player isn't there, right? So you can imagine how that could be abused in, in a very nefarious way. Uh, but also, I mean, we are talking about someone's livelihood. I mean, yes, it's it is a privilege to to play in in a professional sports league. It is different than being a welder, but it is their livelihood. This is what they've trained their whole life uh, to do, uh, and to be denied that on the basis of 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 an accusation seems a little harsh, right? So, where do we find in the middle? What what can we look for? And I think. What we end up with is kind of what we have, which is it's sort of this mushy case by case thing where we try to figure it out, which in some ways doesn't really help because then we have these all all over the map. We have this guy being punished a lot, this one not as much, and we get all this, this uh, you know, and then over time, uh, you know, we, we get uh variance in the punishments uh and standards that are applied as the mores change, right? I think nowadays we have a much uh, stricter, more, um, we, we want harsher penalties for, for this kind of behavior than maybe 20 years ago, where it was sort of like, ah, you know, boys being boys or some, dismissed in some other really bad way, but at least that was a sort of more of the norm. And so that's changed over time too. And so you can't, it's hard to get a sense of sort of where really uh, we should be uh, uh, thinking about when is it time to for the league to step in and issue a punishment uh, in these kinds of cases. And then that's hard enough, but then figuring out what the punishment should be, right? Why 11 games, six games, eight games, 10 games, a full season, right? Uh, there's always going to be a contingent that's pissed off. And there's always uh, one way or the other. It's too, too many games, too few games. All right. And so I wouldn't want to be the commissioner um, uh, by any stretch of imagination to have to try to adjudicate those. Um, so it's, it, I think it's, I, it's, it's hard to know what the, what the leagues should do. Yeah. Um, I think I, I agree with you that it'd be nicer if they took a, a harsher line and, and hopefully that would have some sort of long-term deterrence effect on the behavior because, you know, the domestic violence, domestic assault is, is a, it's a problem in the NFL uh, uh, statistically looking at the kind, you know, the, um, 
I think 538 did a did a really nice report on this uh, about the various arrests and, and criminal records and so on of NFL players. And they're uh, almost on every crime. They're lower than they're sort of predicted based on their demographics and all that where they would be. Right. Except for domestic violence, which is way higher than what it would be predicted. So there's something going on there. I don't know what it is. Right. Uh, and the hope would be that maybe harsher penalties would would deter that. That doesn't always work either, though, right? Because that doesn't necessarily um, deterrence doesn't always doesn't always work. No, of course uh, not. Of course not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy people fail to contemplate the consequences of their action. That's often right. a hallmark of being a, a crazy, violent person in in the in the first place. Yeah. I guess in some ways, I think it's. I understand the league's predicament. And, you know, we all know murderers walk because of technicalities and stuff like that. And we, we uh, support the system at large, even if we know that it fails sometimes in specific instances. Right. I think I put more of the onus, frankly, on, on fans. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this to like, to like virtue signal. It's just something that because it was the way that it was is, you know, there's just criminals involved with pro sports. You kind of just roll with it. And so-and-so is going to be out for three games because of blah, blah, blah. And then they'll be back. But the, again, I'll go back to the NBA and again, I'll go back to, to miles bridges. If so, he's, I forget the specifics. Doesn't totally matter. We're kind of speaking in the abstract accused of uh, violence against uh, a, a woman that I think is the mother of his child in front of the child. If it can't be, there's lots of instances where we go, yeah, they're never going to make it stick, but we all know it's true. And right. the, the, the public is not 100%. No, we can't prove it, but we know but it. But we know yeah. it. And, the, and the world is not 100% on that, but yeah. it does, that instance has been known to happen. And I do think in that instance, I do understand the league can't bar people for life who haven't been convicted of anything. But I'm again, I'm disappointed in the American public, I guess for not realizing that we have a responsibility to communicate to athletes that again, it's a, it's a right, uh, not uh, it's a privilege, not a right for you to be in these leagues. And if you're capable of that sort of stuff, the Hornets sucked before you got here, they can suck when you, when you leave too. do, I guess my question is, do you agree that let's say the people of Charlotte and whoever else roots for Charlotte, wherever else they are, have a responsibility to, hold the team accountable and say, we only want people who aren't violent sex criminals on our team. Well, it's complicated insofar as any one individual fan really can't have that responsibility as an individual because they can't really affect it. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, now, but, a, but, but I'm a minority can 20, a, a vocal 20% right. can make a difference. Right. If you get a group, if you can get a group together uh, of, of fans that can communicate that to the league and you know whether that's you know pro or college at college you get a group of the alumni together and you can you can apply some pressure as a group yeah so there might be some uh responsibility to uh to try to to organize but i uh that kind of group but that's a pretty big challenge as well too even getting you know 20 20 percent 10 percent of people to uh, uh, to to come together and apply that kind of pressure and do so for a period of time. And boycotts are very hard. They're very they're not often successful. I don't know what the rates are, but it, it's they're they're successful when you have a very clear target. So something like um, uh, like Donald Sterling, right? There's a very clear target. There's a very clear off ramp. 
this guy goes and the boycott stops, right? And so you could do that maybe for a particular player, right? But sort of the idea of trying to implement a certain generic standard of, of behavior might be harder to, to galvanize people around. So I think you could probably do a boycott for a particular player, but it would it would have to be a substantial um, number of fans to do it and to have an impact. Uh, you know, and it could be, it may be more than 20%. I don't know what it would be. I mean, I think, you know, we're looking at something, I mean, it's not about criminal behavior, but Manchester United uh, and the Glazier family that owns them and the fan base is very unhappy with that ownership um, and is there's a pretty sizable contingent of fans that are working to try to push the ownership out. I don't know what percentage it is, and but I don't know, and I don't know how effective it, it, it will end up being. Uh, although I think it probably in at least a couple of years will be, I think they will just probably find a seller, but um, you know, but coming back to the, to the States and to, to sort of these more criminal sorts of, of scenarios, right. I think it's, it's hard on the, to, to put that in some ways on the fan. I mean, I get your point that, you know, as a fan, you should be cognizant. You should be aware of, the players on your team. And certainly if there's, if there's something really serious, uh, you should be aware of that and you have to process that. But, uh, you know, fandom is also, uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier, right. It's connected to your identity. It's connected to your community. Uh, and it's not something you can kind of just turn on and off, right. That you can just walk away from. Um, and so it's, it's hard to like, if you, so if you're a Browns fan right now and, you're disgusted by the accusations against Watson. You believe them to be credible and accurate and whatnot. Um, and and so you're you're angry at the organization. You're disgusted by Watson. You don't want him to be your quarterback. Um, you know, can, does that mean that you have some obligation to, uh, you know, throw away all your Browns uh, uh, paraphernalia? Um, you know, not, not watch the team anymore until they get rid of Watson and so on. I don't know. That seems a bit, uh, of a, of a rather stark, uh, uh, imposition on, on the fan for something that they don't really have control over. Right. Uh, I, 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 if I can cut you off though, but like, the, but, yeah. but what about the, the part that you shouldn't, it shouldn't be an imposition it should come sort of naturally to know. I'll, I'll use the example of uh, Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy went, you know, was accused of whatever he was accused of in the NFL. And then he went to the UFC and I followed the UFC casually. And I just said, I'm not going to watch this guy's fights. It's pretty easy. Cause you can just, you can watch the card and skip that. But yeah, I mean, some... I do think individual versus team sports is, is very different though. Yeah. But like you just, yeah. you just know, and let's assume that one of the 24 allegations against Deshaun Watson is, has, has more than a shred of credibility to it. Somebody out there is watching who is victimized by this person going, fuck, they don't care on one level. We're the same. He's a person. I am a person, but I couldn't do what I did to him and get away with it. I'm here living with what happened to me and this asshole is being fucking cheered right yeah. now. And that's wrong. And to just say, as a fan, I'm just one voice. No one's going to notice me missing, but I don't want to, I can't root for him. I don't want to fuck that guy. Let me know when he's gone. Like, yeah. is it, why do I feel, and again, I'm trying so hard to not be like, why am I so just and virtuous and nobody else is, but why, <laughs> why do I feel like my point of view 
is so absent from this conversation when to me it's like I don't expect 18 year olds to think of it this way, but you know, I'm, I'm a husband and I have a daughter, mm -hmm. but it really doesn't have anything to do with either of those things. I've just been a human being on earth for 40 plus years and fuck you, fuck yeah. you. And when you're, and, and there's, and, and there's other sports to watch and there's other teams to watch and you'll be gone in a few years. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, and I, I don't, certainly I wouldn't want to say there's anything wrong. Yeah. Right. In, in that point of view, I think the question is more whether that, um, is obligatory for all right. for all fans or not and that I, I i i mean although in a lot of ways i agree with you now when antonio brown was signed by the patriots i was not happy about it and i was thrilled when when he when they finally let him go because mm -hmm. his true behavior continued and he you know and there's a room for redemption i i believe there is michael vick based on what we know as outsiders i think is sort of the ultimate story of what i'm looking for from yeah. an athlete which is contrition punishment and commitment to 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 real change i have i had right. no issue with him coming back at all yeah i mean he's he served his time he yeah. came back he 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 seemed uh generally contrite and learned yeah. learned from his behavior and moved forward became a great uh example of of uh you know uh what it, uh, kind of an object lesson don't do this this is bad it's stupid it's evil right yes um and so that's important and I, and i think you know i don't know if watson could be that i i, I don't want to say one way or the other yeah. I, I don't know him at all right so right. we don't we don't have any evidence to suggest anything one way or the other at this point uh but he you know there's a possibility at least that maybe he could he could change so there could be a space for redemption that, that we don't want to completely close off um but at the same time, it's also, you know, when when Antonio Brown finally was released, I, I was thrilled. And when, it, you know, when when he scored a touchdown, I didn't cheer. Right. I, I didn't I not out of any sort of, um, you know, you said, like, oh, I'm too virtuous to, to do that. It just I couldn't I the celebration just didn't well up in me. I was like, yeah, eh. it feels I'm wrong. as happy we scored. And to the extent that I even just did cheer maybe a little bit, you know, it was for the team and it was for the other players. But, you know, in my mind, I was thinking not for you because you're a scumbag. Um, and so I think there, there might be a way to try to do both. And I think it's harder because Watson's the quarterback. Right. I think if it's a single player that might be on the defense or the offense, it's a, more of a role player. It's easier to sort of separate that out and say, OK, well, I'm rooting for the team. You're just an asshole and you'll be gone. And so I'm I'm rooting for the collective here. As Jerry Seinfeld said, I'm rooting for the laundry. Yeah. You're just dirty sock that will get thrown out eventually right um and whereas when it's the quarterback though that's a little harder because that sort of is the the face of the team it's it's the 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 um uh i don't know it, you know it's, it's it's everything goes through the quarterback right on the offense and so it's you can't sort of separate that out so i think that's a lot harder when your quarterback is is the center of 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 this sort of issue uh and but I, I think as a fan, because it's, a, you know, the, as a team sport, you are rooting for the collective. And that makes it a little bit harder because, you know, you're rooting for the you're connected into the history. You're connected uh, into uh, the whole narrative of what the team is. And, you know, and, you know, the players come and go. Uh, that's that, that's what's funny about the rooting for laundry idea. Right. It's because the players come and go. This player you love next week, he's on your rivals team now you hate him right yeah. it's <laughs> and so it's it's uh uh that that paradox of fandom as well right where you you're rooting for their excellence and their achievements but not really them as a person and yet they are a person and you have to be aware of the things they do as a person as well and at times 
they go too far and you have to bracket that or you have to at least acknowledge that and maybe you know what a browns fan needs would need to do is is you know if they still wanted to root for the browns uh but make clear that they're not rooting for watson uh they're rooting for the browns and i don't know how you might do that whether you have a you know you know your t-shirt or something like that that you said not watson but the browns or something like that or sign that makes it clear that you're sort of trying to to separate that out but like I said, I think with a quarterback, that makes it a lot harder. Whereas if it's just a wide receiver or uh, a tackle or something like that, it's easier to to kind of push them, shunt them off to the off to the side for the year or two that they're on your team. And then uh, finally, something I wanted to touch on is just sort of college sports and amateur sports in general. So you're at ASU. There, I I just grew up without college sports uh we had so many pro teams in the yeah same with boston i yeah yeah i liked saint uh saint john's and syracuse and then once everybody was one and done i was like i'll just see you when you get to the end yeah and then you know umass would make a run every once in a while and that was nbc and it was cute you know it was nice but it wasn't the pros yeah so again it's really easy for me to be judgmental here i would like to think i'd hold myself to a high moral ethical standard if it actually affected a sport that i gave a shit about but um, I think the further and further I get from college sports, uh, having watched them as a kid and then given up for most of my adulthood, the weirder and more jarring, frankly, that it feels to me when I do happen to go to a bar and grill for lunch and it's on and everybody's freaking out about the game. And I mean, just the optics are so bad of you have the the stands tend to be filled with not people of color very often obviously of not meager backgrounds the field tend to be populated with people of color who we all know very often do have meager backgrounds they're not paid to be there but the university derives all of this glory and all this money from them and i know that now they have the name image likeness deals that have come along but who cares? You're not getting paid. You're, you're a professional athlete. You, you basically, it's like the mob. You got to do the first couple jobs for free, and then you get to go into the, the big leagues and make some real money. The problem is most of them will never go to the pros, and we all know that, and the the, uh, the compensation that they're supposed to be getting instead, the college education, we all know many players will never complete, and but part of the responsibility for that, of course, is on them, but we all know the deal, and nobody's really concerned about fixing it. it at best, they pay lip service to it. Um, I... Can't, I was sort of talking through this with my wife before I spoke to you today, and 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 I stumbled on a new comparison that I'd never thought of before. It feels sort of gladiatorial in mm. a way that, you know, you pull these people out of obscurity and you say, go and smash each other on the field. And if you really, really distinguish yourself as a gladiator, then we'll take care of you. Others, otherwise, it's all understood. You get 30 seconds of glory and we toss you by the wayside. And yet this is a a massive national institution. I think at this point, the numbers bear out that the NFL is the most popular sport. And and I am speaking largely of college football, I guess. Um, The NFL is the number one sport and college football is, is number two. There, Mm -hmm. the people have a, have a massive attack. I'm assuming there's people, you run into people every single day on campus who are pretty into ASU programs. As somebody who's just an Martian looking in, it feels so incredibly unseemly and if we were to build this situation from scratch today nobody would co-sign this yeah uh am i missing something here i don't think so i mean i I think you're right certainly about the history um that i mean it is it's a it's certainly i mean it's unique first of all it's unique to to u.s institutions i mean 
the universities in Europe don't have and in South America don't really have this kind of relationship <clears throat> um, with the, with with uh, uh, the college between the universities and, and sports. Um, they have a different they have academies and, and things like that uh, where the, the development takes place. And like you said, if if we were going to start today from scratch, no one would build the system we have. It's completely and utterly insane. Um, and yet it is the system that we have and it's fairly entrenched. Uh, and it's, I do think though, some of it it will radically change, you know, I I don't want to make any predictions and give years, but you know, five, 10 years, whatever, I think it will radically change. Now, some of that's the NIL, uh, but then there'll be other changes that are going to, I think, end up really separating out college, uh, football as well as college basketball, both on the men and women's side into its own sort of category, uh, that will likely be somehow distinct from the university, but also still within a relationship with the university. But some of these issues will yeah. will go, and the NCAA, I think, will probably take will probably lose control over uh, the sort of uh, FBS schools, the Power Five schools, and whatnot. I think they're gonna they'll end up breaking away into their own own system. I think. Yeah. Oh, I love pay- paying yeah. the kids and giving them great educations at the same time. Wonderful. That sounds good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great, but it's not and, likely to and, happen. And I'm sorry, and 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 yeah. and and and, pr- and arguably preferable to what you have maybe in like European basketball, where you could have a 15 year old who just travels full time with a bunch of grown ups and learns to like drink and smoke in their in their teenage. <laughs> wow, that sounds cool. Because they're no, because, yeah. you know, Luka Doncic is like a very old 22, and it really mm. really shows. And the same thing that you see with soccer and all that. I think there is a lot to be said for the college element of college mm-hmm. sports, but a, a very small um, that should be a very small piece of the puzzle. Sorry, go ahead. Right. Yeah. So I mean. That doesn't really kind of get at at sort of the question here. Now, some of it, I think we do need to take a step back and be a little bit concerned about being paternalistic about the choices that athletes and their families are making. Sure. Right. So, like you said, everybody kind of knows the deal here, and so if you're going along with it, uh, you know, you you know the deal here, so you know what you're getting and uh, and what's and what's uh, what's going to proceed. That doesn't absolve anybody of making necessary changes. And certainly I think the universities, the programs, uh, the NCAA could do a better job, could do better at making sure students, and this also goes down to the high school level, making sure students are better prepared for college that are going to go on to college um, and to be able to succeed at college if that's their choice. Now, I think a number of players are going to college. Uh, well, again, we're, we're, and we're talking about the elite levels and we're talking about college basketball and, and football right that i mean they're primarily going there to get into the pros right if if it, if it wasn't the step that the one and done step that they had to take they wouldn't take that step but right? yes. they don't have a, you know i i'm guessing right that many of them don't have any interest just based on their the fact that they are one and done and they don't go to classes at the very minimum and so on that they're not really interested in the in getting the education themselves they're there for the opportunity to make the next step uh and whatever we might think about that from from our point of view you know that's a choice that they're making and and i'm prepared to to respect that if as long as they understand the the risks and and so on but i do think the schools could do a better job of of uh, you know, making sure, okay, well, when you are a student here, you are a student here and you need to meet the standards of, of being a, being a student at this institution, uh, and finding and trying to find a way to make sure that that is held up. That's harder to do than otherwise. Right. I mean, it's, uh, in many ways, the student athletes are, you know, tracked and surveilled more than any other student on campus for their grades. I mean, I get messages from, 
uh, not from coaches, but for at least from the athletic department. If I have a, a student athlete, you know, what's their progress? Are they missing classes? Are they coming to class? Right. The the arts department isn't doing that with the with their with their students. Right. Um, now, there's reasons for that, of course, but it's uh, there is a sense in which the universities are trying to do some stuff. It's just it's not clear that they know what they're doing. And part of that is because I don't know if anybody really knows how to do that. Right. How do we take students that aren't prepared for college oftentimes, aren't necessarily interested in college and make them successful in college when they when they come here that's not only a problem for student athletes it's a problem more generally uh, when you're at big universities you have a lot of students that are coming that aren't prepared and aren't going to succeed uh and and that's a tragedy across the board uh but that's maybe there's a, what i what i'm hoping for is that as the ncaa will break down uh and divide up that there'll be other models and other schools will develop some kind of hybrid maybe between the academy model that you have in europe but that also then melds in tries to take the best of both worlds right so having having a system that you know can generally develop the talent but also develop the person as, as well and not and not just spit them up and and uh use them up and spit them out so yeah yeah ex- i mean it, it, it is there is value to the model just uh probably for well honestly there's there's kind of just like two different things that you're talking about here because one is the kid who's i could either go people who don't know the the nba now offers an alternative g league ignite you can go and play for the nba and make like five hundred thousand dollars a year but some kids go ah you know what it looks really fun when people win national championships and there's lots of pretty girls on campus I'm, i'm gonna do one year somewhere i'll go do the college thing for a year. Those are the people who have a reasonable expectation, maybe even have insurance policies on themselves in case their pro career that doesn't turn out as expected. Right. They to break me, their knee or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To me, it's more about the, uh, you know, it's like minor league baseball. There's really three players on the team. The other 22 people are there just to give them somebody to play against right. all the other people, the, the other 65 kids on the squad who have no reasonable expectation of, of going pro who seem like uh, casualties in a system where there's there's lots of winners and it's it's not a, a fluke that 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 it's it's unlikely that they will be one of them despite the fact that they're the reason everybody's there and they're the ones putting their lives on the line you know their their right. safety on the line right certainly yeah certainly in football <laughs> yeah 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 that's kind of what I'm it's I don't know basketball doesn't bother me as much yeah. I guess just because it's not such a such a violent sport um, that's all the stuff that that I have what what are you um, what are you working on the moment? What is capturing your interest from this world outside of the stuff that we've already touched on? Anything? Well, uh, you know, a lot of what we've talked about is is some bigger social right, problems, yeah. social political, which stuff. I know is well, not really your, your focus. So thank you for not necessarily. It. I mean, it always comes up, and it's not. It's certainly always kind of uh, layered into a lot of the conversations. Yeah. Well, one of the things that that I've really been thinking a lot about lately is uh, the whether it's okay to to hate in sport right so when we talk about rivalries and mm-hmm. um I have, a big, I have a big problem here i love this yeah <laughs> you love hating no uh, i know I, I really reflect a lot on it's not healthy the way i feel about certain athletes right um or, or teams. and i've already told so you about i can't watch the celtics pretty much at all at this point it's tough yeah no and and, and um uh, you know i i often can't stand to watch uh you know espn because it just seems like uh it's just all Aaron Judge and the Yankees, and they just slobbering all over him. And so the broadcasts are just terrible. To, at least that's the way it feels as a Red Sox fan, right? So it's just they're, they're almost unwatchable. 
Um, and now I don't, I don't hate Aaron Judge, I, but I do hate the Yankees. Right? Well, so no, but, I, I, there's not a single guy that I dislike on the Celtics team. Marcus Smart's not the most lovable guy in the world, but really? he's the kind of guy. Oh, I think he's well, that, But he's, but, but he's the classic kind of like you love him when he's on your team. Yeah, you know, right. just Patrick Beverly, the, the the defensive specialist, the instigator. Yeah, there's literally like I uh, I've disliked LeBron James teams pretty much across the board with rare exceptions. I could spell out reasons why I have issues with LeBron. I don't like this Celtics team and I literally like all of their coach seems cool. I don't really have an issue with Brad Stevens. I don't dislike one individual and I hate them. What the hell? Yeah. And so that's what I find really interesting is what's going on there. Is it real hate? Right. Is it the same as, you know, when you, uh, um, you know, hate, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the enemy pouring over your borders or something like that. Uh, you know, or is it, is there something else going on in sport hate, right? If we want to put it into like, you know, square, uh, question mark, uh, yeah. quotation marks, right? I'd love to know. Right. Sport hate, right. It, or is it more that we're sort of playing at hating? Is it going back to this sort of playground atmosphere where, because sport is this arbitrary con construct that is ultimately not meaningful gives us uh, a place to kind of explore our emotions explore these these attitudes that we might have and is so the question i'm interested in is is when we're when we're hating are we is it something more of a positive kind of a cathartic thing where we're sort of this is a space where we can hate but there's no real consequences where if we hate in in real life, there are consequences, right? And and it can harm other people and it can harm ourselves. But in sport, right, it's it's bracketed off. And so maybe it's it's just like when you're, you know, cross-checking somebody or well, I guess uh, you know, you're you're checking them or you're you're tackling them, right? Is it more like that where it's you don't, know, or even in like the UFC where you're hitting them, you're pounding on them, but at the end of the fight, you hug them and you love each other and there's a lot of mutual respect. And so the hate that you experience when you're throwing the punch is is not real in a sense, right? Or it's just, it's a bracketed kind of sport hate. And so is that a way of sort of letting out our demon in a way that can weaken it and be cathartic? Or the flip side of that, the worrisome side of it is that it actually strengthens the ability to hate. Does it actually teach us how to hate? Does it come off the playground and stay with us? Uh, and I don't, I mean, I think that's a, it's a really complex, some of it's empirical, psychological, uh, but I think it's an interesting sort of ethics question. And I, I sort of frame it as, is, is it okay to chant Yankees suck when you're at Fenway park, uh, you know, or is that disrespectful or is it kind of a fun, playful thing that, that everybody is, is sort of, uh, accepting as sort of just playful trash talk that really isn't uh doesn't really have any any deeper meaning than that so and i don't know the answer to it i mean i i think i'd like to think that it's kind of a healthy cathartic playful thing because then it gives me i I don't feel as bad when i hate (laughs) in sport but i also personally right i do feel that once the game is over i don't that i don't i don't feel like i carry the hate with me maybe i'm different um, and I, but I know people who do. And so it's, it is a, it's an interesting question. What, what's going on there? Is, am I, am I just weird or is my friend just weird or is there something else going on in terms of how we approach sport? And maybe we need to coach it both in terms of being participants, but also just as spectators learn how to spectate in a way that allows for the kind of playful sport hate, but that, but that allows it more as a cathartic sort of way of 
experimenting with those negative traits, but then releasing them. I know what you're getting at. There's other things like that, you know, like uh, roller coasters or horror movies are ways yeah. to, but, uh, but, but I guess the difference is I, 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 I crave those things to greater or lesser degrees, you know, as somebody who I, I grew up as a Yankees fan and I make no apology for that because the Yankees sucked when I was a kid. I missed Goose Gossage and Ron Guidry and I just had the really bad Steinbrenner years. And when all my friends were rooting for Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and I was there suffering, I... I, I, I love telling Boston fans this is a lifelong Yankees fan. I cried when the ball went through Buckner's legs. It just because I want I didn't even get the history. I wanted the Mets to lose so bad. So yes. when the Yankees got good, that I was like from eight to sixteen of them stinking. So I never apologize for yeah, let's another yeah, three sure. three P let, let's do it. At no point when they were winning and winning and winning until we all know what happened, um, at no point was I thinking, yeah, but you know what? It'd be nice if this year we could just get our ass kicked. I've, it's been a while since I had one of those. We do crave that when it comes to story. We do crave that in other areas. People would be very happy to have their team win 100 consecutive championships. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think it, maybe 100 would be a lot. That, right? that might, I think yeah. at some point right. you'd get bored, right? Right. Um, and, but... I, I'm certainly willing to give it a test go, right? I'd love to try it out. <laughs> I know. Uh, That's the thing. Right? Exactly. But yeah, so I, I do think, yeah, it is different. Like, I mean, there's there's a sense of of, you know, we 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 sometimes will root for the bad guy, but in in the bigger picture, we we tend in the movie, we still want the good guy to to come out on top, right? In some right. sense. Right. Um and so maybe that's the same thing. I mean, you know, we we want our team to eventually come out, even though we recognize that in some ways it's it's more fun and more dynamic when you can overcome an obstacle. Um, but I think, uh, you know, so thinking about like winning multiple championships in a row is now 100 is obviously unrealistic. But, sure. you know, even just many or or to to have, you know, three or four in a row would be incredible. And I think part of that is not, the reason why you wouldn't get bored, as long as it was through a, a challenge, right? If you're still being challenged by the other teams and still continually overcoming that, yeah. then there's there's a greatness there, and I, and I can see why you would continue to be attracted to that and continue to celebrate that. Especially if it's in doubt. If it's in yeah. doubt, and if your championship seems imperiled, which I, I gotta let you go, I kept you for way way too long. But that yeah. that reminds me of one more thing: when you're rooting, when you're watching the game, and then the best player on the other team gets hurt, goes down, and is not sure if he's gonna get up or not, and they go, "Oh, nobody wants to win that way." I know that's what you're supposed to say as a sports fan, and to an extent, it's true. Yes, I would prefer that my team beat their team at full strength. But if you're asking me to choose between my team losing <laughs> or beating their team with Kawhi Leonard on the sideline, let's be honest. Everybody, everybody takes the win. Is it wrong? Really? Are there any consequences? It's it's obviously not kind to be happy yeah. that another human being tweaked their knee or something. Is it actually wrong to be happy? Because I'll admit it. I, nobody wants to win that way. I do. I do. I'll take it. I don't let some my favorite way to win, but I as a fan, right. I will take it. Is it actually wrong to be happy that your opponent's best player got injured and can't play in the finals? Uh I I don't know if it's if Okay, so let's we have to separate it out in a couple of things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. certainly if you're sitting there wishing for the injury and hoping the player gets injured, what that's difference is, what difference does that make? Like, I'm not I'm not magic. Yeah. I don't have voodoo powers. Yeah, right. No, of course not. Yeah. Um, although that probably doesn't stop you from sitting in the exact same seat <laughs> and wearing the same socks for right. the game. But um, 
but it, it there's a sense of yeah if you're wishing for it and hoping and are going to celebrate that the person got injured that seems wrong to me and i think is wrong and mm-hmm. should be criticized mm-hmm. but you know the fact okay well he is injured and this is an advantage to my team and in the context you know it, it's going to make it uh, easier for us to win and uh, to win the championship and that's kind of what we're looking for i mean there is a great ideal of a kind of mutual quest for excellence. And we're going to lift each other up, challenge each other, push each other. And we'll be even a greater victory uh, having, you know, you play, you become the best by beating the best, all those cliches, which I think are true uh, as well, but there's also, okay, well, this is going to make, this takes one obstacle away, even though there's still substantial obstacles. So I can understand the feeling of, and and I felt it uh, as, as a fan and I can see, I, I think just the feeling of emotion of of happiness, okay, that's one less thing we have to deal with. Um, that seems fine, right, to me. I don't think there's anything necessarily morally criticizable about that. It seems kind of a natural kind of uh, response. But I do think, you know, actually thinking, wouldn't it be great if that player got hurt, um, you know, and not being, uh, you know, once the player is hurt and or you see the player go down, there is that moment of, recognition oh god that's a human being and and you know that's someone's son or daughter that's someone's husband whatever um you know that that not and if you don't experience that at least for that moment where the person's writhing in pain on the ground and you're sort of like all right good that worries me about your character at that point right oh man sorry (laughs) (laughs) right but but then seeing okay well okay okay well all right oh he's fine he can't play the rest of the game but he's you know like not life-threatening it's not career-threatening you just can't finish the game yeah you know that yeah uh, then i can see okay you kind of have a feeling of relief right. and a kind of sense of happiness that seems natural to me but i yeah i wouldn't want to to be wishing for for someone else to to suffer like that yeah no i am not permanent injury yeah right no okay we, we, I, can, <laughs> I, th- I think we- I think we can I think we can agree on that. Well, uh right. thank you for uh thank you for spending so much time talking through all this stuff with me. I appreciate oh, no, it's fun. I love to do it. Your insight uh the Examined Sport podcast, you're at Sports Ethicist on Twitter and sportsethicist.com for everything else. Thank you so much once again, Sean Klein. Thank you.